Welcome to your Truth Reveal video podcast, sharing the power of self-knowledge. I'm Erica Marcoux. Episode 5, Know Your Counselor, is the first part of an interview with Sharon Bean. This interview describes how having a relationship with a counselor can help you overcome personal challenges and be empowered. All of Season 1 helps you to be your own health expert as I interview industry professionals to explore your hidden mental and physical health potential. With us today is Sharon Bean, who has a master's degree in counseling from St. Edwards University in Austin. She is a licensed professional counselor with a private practice. She is trained in CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and EMDR, which is Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. She has also worked as a social worker in schools, foster care, and homeless outreach. And the primary reason I want to have this interview with you is to help change the conversation about mental health and primarily demystifying counseling. Yes. (laughs) Wonderful topic. Yes. I'm meeting my clients where they are at. Some people are ready to do lots of hard work from the go and some people are just learning about emotions right i have a master's degree in counseling psychology from john f kennedy university what is counseling counseling is a relationship that empowers people to accomplish mental health wellness and education counselors provide guidance to help people navigate life's challenges They work with clients on strategies to overcome obstacles and personal challenges that clients are facing. There appear to be about five common myths when it comes to counseling. And the first is that uh, seeking counseling is a sign of weakness. Yeah. Can you speak to that a bit? Absolutely. It, It is still a misconception that somehow counseling means that you're crazy or broken or something is terribly wrong with you. And by going into counseling, you're admitting that those things are true and that you can't solve your own problems and then you must be weak. And uh, the truth is, is that most people need help solving their problems from time to time. Sometimes they get that help outside of counseling, but sometimes they need to come to someone who has more knowledge in a certain area. Their family or friends are helpful, but they, they aren't quite getting there with that help. And so they come to somebody who's more educated about helping and who might have some solutions that can get them past a difficult spot. Mm -hmm. And what I find is the healthiest people are the ones who come to counseling because they can be introspective, look at their stuff, and work through their problems. Because life doesn't come with a handbook. Um, No. I often kind of, it's one of those things where I look at our education And even watching my daughter go through elementary school and middle school and high school, there's very little education around what is it to be a human being? And what are the stumbling blocks that can happen that are physical, emotional, life transitions? Right. I don't think that we do a great job with the psychoeducation piece. I agree. And I think, you know, in education and other areas, 
um, there isn't a lot attended to about emotions because mm-hmm. that's a scary subject. So we will tend to stay away from that and seek out more specialized personal attention for that. And what we fear is what we don't understand. Right. And really, emotions themselves are not that complicated. It's just we don't have the tools to be able to identify them and be able to work with them. Absolutely. In a healthy way. Right. And a lot of the work I do is is simply identifying emotions. What mm-hmm. is that emotion? What is it like to have that emotion? And what can we do with that when it happens? And that's a big part of it, normalizing emotions, Mm -hmm. trying to understand what's okay, what's not okay, and then how to deal with it appropriately within reason. Right. Those are all difficult things that nobody gets uh, a lot of assistance Mm -hmm. for. And in some families, uh, nobody talked about those things. Mm -hmm. And that's a generational thing as well. Yes. And thinking about my own family upbringing in the Midwest where there's very, you know, you just get through it. You don't have time for feelings. We have to go (laughs) tend to things out in the garden or the farm, right? So absolutely, Mm -hmm. it's not something that our society talks about very well. But when we miss out on really feeling the sadness, I feel like we're missing out on feeling joy, happiness, peace. Yeah, there you have to have something to compare it to, mm-hmm. right? And uh, there are no f- bad feelings. They all have value. We just have to find out what the value is in feeling sad or mm-hmm. f- feeling depressed or whatever word we want to use to describe that down part of feelings and then we have to find out what we can do to alleviate some of the down part Mm -hmm. but it's normal to have that right everybody has bad down low feelings and everybody has the other up higher feelings and And i remember i've heard that the dalai lama said that he feels angry Yes. Even the Dalai Lama feels anger. Everybody has a full range of emotions. <laughs> that is normal. And emotional intelligence is the ability to be able to feel those emotions and be with them. Right. And um, name them and discuss them mm-hmm. and uh, understand that that is part of life. We mm-hmm. have them. We want to have them because the alternative is bad. And my understanding about emotions is that especially when we have strong emotions that the amygdala part of the brain so mm-hmm. the, uh, that very reptilian part of the brain gets activated just by naming it we activate the prefrontal cortex and it shifts the experience absolutely true and i like what you said about the amygdala that part of the brain is the emotional center mm-hmm. and um everything originates from there as far as the emotions are involved and we have to learn different ways of regulating that and that can be by speaking it out loud mm-hmm. processing it hearing it uh, writing about it or expressing it in some way to get it out and to calm it, regulate that nervous system mm-hmm. overload. That Emotional regulation. Yes. <laughs> Emotional <laughs> so regulation important. is a big deal. The next myth 
is that counselors will try to put you on medication. <laughs> yes. I wish I had a nickel for <laughs> every person who said, I don't want to be on medication. Uh-huh. I don't prescribe. I absolutely cannot prescribe. Only medical doctors and nurse practitioners can do that. So can we pause right there? Yes. This is just so important. Where people don't understand the difference between being a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and a counselor. Right. What is the difference? Well, so a psychiatrist is a medical doctor specialty with brain health. So that's who you want to go see if you're having issues with uh, depression or anxiety or lots of other issues that come up, respond to medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's who you go see. You see a psychiatrist, they're specialists in brain medicine. They know the spectrum of medication that's available and they have the knowledge, the specialty knowledge about how that might work for you as an individual person. And how might it be better for someone who's feeling depressed, how might it be better for them to go to a psychiatrist versus going to their primary care physician, which is what Mm, the majority of people do? A great question. Okay. So lots of primary care physicians prescribe, traditionally they prescribe what we call SSRIs, Mm -hmm. which names for those would be Prozac or Zoloft or things of that nature. Lots of them will prescribe that if you have a period of more than a couple of weeks of depression or anxiety or having sleep problems. Is that six weeks about? Or? Two to six weeks. Okay. It just depends on the doctor. There's a patient health questionnaire and it refers to two week period of time. So if you're having symptoms for two weeks, they can prescribe based on a two week period. Most people don't seek out treatment within the first two weeks. (laughs) It usually goes on for months or years before they seek treatment. They will base their information on what you self-report as symptoms and issues, just like a psychiatrist will. And if you don't have any issues and the SSRI works for you, that's not really an issue per se. But I think it's better My personal opinion is that you should see a psychiatrist anytime you're talking about brain health because they're specialists, just like you would see a cardiologist if you had a heart problem, you would see an endocrinologist if you had a pancreas problem, et cetera, et cetera. They are specialists in their particular area. And a primary care physician is going to be a general Mm -hmm. medical practitioner. They're covering everything from knee pain to if you have tonsillitis. They're not going to have that in-depth understanding about brain health. Right. And especially the side effects of medication that a psychiatrist would have. Absolutely. And that's when it becomes a problem is if the medicine doesn't work for you or you start to have side effects. Which is common. Very common. And lots of people who have side effects from one medication say, I never want to take medication again because I had this thing happen. Mm -hmm. But they could do well on another medication in a different class or just a different formulation Mm -hmm. of that medicine. And the psychiatrists know what those are. And a statistic that most people don't know is that one in five people had a mental health condition Mm -hmm. and that it is a biological condition that can be treated with medication. Yes. Just like any other kind of illness, like diabetes. Absolutely. And Mental Health America, which is a grassroots organization, Mm -hmm. put out that particular 
study that you're talking about. Uh-huh. They did a study from 2010 to 2015 and published it in 2017 that said one in five, 20% of our population qualifies for a mental health diagnosis, but only 36% seek treatment. And it's an average of eight years before someone will actually get treatment. It's a long time, usually. I think that part of the stigma is just such a lack of education. If, if those are the facts, mm-hmm. and there is absolutely nothing wrong with having a mental health condition, right. th- that's what I want to um, close is that gap is to help more people get help and stop suffering unnecessarily because of this lack of understanding or lack of psychoeducation that we have. Yeah, a lot of people, like when we discussed initially about that stigma about weakness, a lot of people still view mental health illnesses very differently. They think of it as a character issue or a parent might think of it about it as being a parenting problem. They're not doing the right thing with their child. That's why they're having behavior issues. A behavior issue is a signal that something else is going on. Behavior means a need is unmet. And that's what we need to figure out. If there's a behavior issue, then that means there is an unmet need that needs to be addressed. And what a more compassionate way to look at this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And get your need met. Yes, and we all need to get our needs met, no matter how old we are mm-hmm. or how young we are. We need to have our needs met. And a mental health condition could show up as early as 14 years old. It could show up when you're in your 40s. So this is a lifelong thing to be looking out for. It is. It's across the spectrum. And actually, there's a lot of research that says children who have separation anxiety, mm-hmm. who continually have that past that initial 18-month stage, that is an indicator uh, of an anxiety disorder as early as grade school. Yes. Right? And then it usually manifests itself in different ways at different times, Mm -hmm. depending on how it's addressed or how it's handled from that young of an age. Because now we're looking at the level of stress that this child grew up with in that environment, and that can change the brain health and the, the nervous system of that individual that's growing. You got it. Environment matters. There has to be a biological predisposition in order for it to get expressed in a certain way. And it gets exacerbated or not, depending on the environment. Mm -hmm. So temperament matters, biology matters, and environment matters. Mm -hmm. And all of those need to be looked at. All of them are important. Mm -hmm. Another common counseling myth is that mental health issues are not real problems and counselors are not that effective. Yes, I've heard that before. I've heard that too. (laughs) A lot of the research says that uh, medicine on its own and counseling on its own shows effectiveness and both of them together have the most effective impact. But pretty equal side by side, Mm -hmm. right? So there's some value in talking about your problems and feeling empowered to handle and manage whatever comes up. That doesn't mean that I'm going to fix anything. Mm -hmm. That's not my job. I see my job as a facilitator Mm -hmm. to help people feel like they have the skills to do what they need to do to manage their day-to-day life. Do you also identify with the role as being a teacher? Absolutely. That's a big part of what I do on a regular basis. A lot of 
psycho education, but education period across the board whenever any issue comes up, letting people understand from, you know, what I've studied or what I've learned, this is the deal. These are the facts. And, you know, let's talk about it from that perspective instead of it being colored by what messages we get from society, from our family, from our peer groups, or internally. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about what's reality. What are the facts of mental health? Yes. Here's the real deal. Another myth is that counseling is a quick fix for all your problems. Some people think that two or three sessions is going to do it. We're talking about maybe 30 years. Right. Of certain beliefs or certain ways of handling situations in your life that we're not probably going to accomplish in three hours. That's three sessions. I talk to my clients about change being a spiral. We come, we learn, we gather information, we're ready to go out there and do it. We go and we get stuck. We hit a wall. We go back to our old behavior because that's how we're programmed. And that's what we know. And that's what we know that's comfortable, Mm -hmm. right? And that's normal. That's what everybody does. And so then we have to get back on the path and we start again. It's very self-paced, whatever you do in therapy. I'm meeting my clients where they are at. Some people are ready to do lots of hard work from the go and some people are just learning about emotions right and like you said they have 30 40 50 60 years of beliefs that we're talking about and that's the filter that they see everything Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. as we're working through the process i think it's so important what you mentioned about meeting the client where they are Mm -hmm. and not having an agenda for that client or or being in judgment Even about what you think that they should have known or they shouldn't have (laughs) known or all of that is not part of what the counseling process is about. It shouldn't feel bad Mm -mm. to go to counseling. It should uh, feel helpful and supportive and empower you to make changes you want to make. It shouldn't feel like somebody's telling you what you should do or placing a judgment about what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard some complaints about counseling where they felt like the counselor didn't give them enough information. So it was just the counselor being passive where Mm -hmm. I think a good counselor is someone where you are meeting them in the middle. You're responding, giving them information, and that person as a client is engaged and also left to make their own decisions ultimately and to feel that empowerment. Right. Therapy is a fit. It's a relationship. Some therapists fit better with certain personalities than other therapists, Mm -hmm. as well as their style. Everybody is going to have their own style. And if it's not a good fit, you need to find a different therapist. It should be a positive experience. It should feel like a place where you're supported and nourished, Mm -hmm. not judged or not left hanging. Right. Yes. You you have to get something out of it, uh, whatever that is for you. Mm -hmm. And it's different for every person. Because what each person is looking for may vary. It does, drastically. Mm -hmm. We're to the last counseling myth. If you go to counseling, you will be judged negatively. (laughs) So we just talked about that. A good therapist is not going to be judging. Let's speak to the judgment that may come from friends and family or society. When I talk to my clients about what 
information they get from family or friends about going to counseling. The ones who are more hesitant are ones who have heard people in their circles say, oh, if you go to counseling, you're crazy, or who goes to counseling, you can handle it, or you know anything like that, anything that's negative. I encourage my clients to only talk to people that are trustworthy. You don't share deep, intimate information with people who are not going to be there and nurture and support you. Mm-hmm. That is a good life lesson. Yes. Right? And I, I don't know if you know who Brene Brown is. Yes. So I talked to them about Brene Brown's research on uh, shame and guilt and courage and vulnerability and how uh, people have to earn the right to hear your story. And you only share it with people who have shown up for you and earned the right to hear your story those are the people you trust your information with because uh, in general in the population you will be judged by some people Mm -hmm. and so why should you set yourself up for that right share that with only people who you find are important in your close circle and who will support you Mm -hmm. Brene Brown has a YouTube video that is so so precious and it shows the difference between someone showing uh, empathy versus showing sympathy awesome you want people around you who can be empathetic who are there with you and really understand that you are taking care of yourself by going to counseling yes you're finding a solution instead of trying to ignore it Well, that's a great model for self-care for the people in your life, right? Uh, I am a huge advocate for self-care, and that looks like lots of different things, and counseling being one of the things on the list. You have to take care of your mind, your emotions, your body, your soul, all of those things. And so this is just another Mm self-care in the mix. I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about the history of psychology And the history of psychology is a scholarly study of the mind, behavior, and emotion dates back to the ancient Greeks and ancient Egyptians. This has been around for a long time. Psychology was a branch of philosophy until the 1870s when it developed as an independent scientific discipline in Germany and the United States. And in the 1890s, Sigmund Freud developed psychoanalysis. There was a movement that broke away from the limitations of psychoanalysis. And in the 1960s, an American psychologist named Carl Rogers helped to shape what is considered counseling today. Rogers is among the founders of humanistic psychology that is a client-centered approach, and humanistic psychology encourages self-awareness and mindfulness, taking into account that mindfulness dates back to over 2,000 years ago. So Sharon, you have a humanistic style to your counseling. I do. Can you please explain how this informs your work with clients? Absolutely. I view all of my clients as individuals who are unique in their own right and have a unique sense of themselves and the world and they have their own individual issues that they're dealing with. I don't see them as crazy or broken. (laughs) 
or somehow outside of the norm. There's a reason why everyone comes to the place that they come to in their life. And my job is to help them uncover that, understand it, and put it in a new narrative so that they can function in a better way. Which contrasts with psychoanalysis, I think still so many people have in their mind Yes, that the client is laying down on a couch (laughs) and the therapist is very objective and has their whole body turned away from the client and just asking questions. Right. Sigmund Freud was a medical doctor and he was also very shy. So he sat behind his clients because he was very uncomfortable with the face-to-face contact. Wow. Probably an introvert, right? And so it was his style to do that and that's what developed the psychoanalysis. But now everyone understands that I'm a person dealing with a person. It's a face-to-face interaction and it's an attachment. And that that relationship and coming from a humanistic approach is what's healing. It's the whole reason to come. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of reading a self-help book. We can read those all day long Mm -hmm. and lots of people have read them and that's one of the things that brings them into my office. Mm. I've read these books, I understand this perspective, but I don't understand how this works really. Because head knowledge is what I call it, is different from experiential knowledge. Totally. And when you bring that in to a counseling session, you get Mm -hmm. to have that lived experience. I feel that that's what's healing. It is absolutely. Our feature product for this episode is the Neurobiologics Mood Plus Supplement. This carefully formulated combination of nutrients supports your overall nervous system and promotes a healthy stress response. Mood Plus can help boost your endorphin levels, bringing a greater sense of calm. In response to this interview, I was asked... What is counseling psychology? In the 1960s, an American psychologist named Carl Rogers helped to shape what is now considered to be counseling. Counseling psychology specifically focuses on how you function personally, meaning as an individual. It also focuses on how you function in your relationships with other people. It addresses all sorts of issues that you may have at any age. This can include emotional issues, social issues, problems at school and work, and it could even be physical health concerns. Counseling psychology focuses on any life stresses you may be struggling with. I believe the most important aspect of counseling psychology is that it helps people improve their overall sense of well-being. It helps to alleviate feelings of distress and hopefully create a sense of peace. So let's say someone has a master's degree in counseling psychology. Now this means that they would probably have studied child and adolescent psychology and the whole family life cycle. They probably study community mental health, diversity, and ethics. They learned about psychopharmacology, human sexuality, and even trauma. 
Overall, someone who has a master's degree in counseling psychology is prepared to help you with whatever problem you're facing. Episode six is the continuation of this interview with Sharon Bean. We need people to talk through things with Mm -hmm. and to hear a different perspective because when we get in our own head and all those shoulds and should nots cloudy the water, then we aren't clear about what's really going on sometimes. For more learning, download your free worksheet and join in the discussion. I encourage you to go to your truthrevealed.com. Also, please subscribe and add a rating and review at your truth revealed on Apple iTunes. Thank you for listening. I'm Erica Marcoux in Austin, Texas.